usually a sign of, uh, of good planning when you put the most important sermon in your series on a holiday weekend when a number of people won't be here. Um, but you're here, and that's what matters. So uh, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 6. We began a little mini-series last week on prayer, particularly on the Lord's Prayer. And what we saw last week, right, was there actually there are two ways that Jesus says, don't, don't pray like this. There are two bad ways to pray. <clears throat> the first, he said, don't be like the hypocrites when you pray, because they're just faking it, right? They don't, uh, they don't take God seriously. They're really praying so that other people will applaud for them, will approve of them. Don't be like them. And then he says, don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like the pagans. Because when they come to God in prayer, they think that they have to manipulate God. That, that their God, right, if they say all of the words or these right words or this certain phrase, then they'll actually be able to get God's attention. So they have to manipulate God because they have to get his attention or they have to wake him up. And we looked at, um, we looked at a scene from the Old Testament where... Uh, the prophets of Baal uh, don't get a response from their God, even though they're dancing and they're cutting themselves and they're, uh, they're raving about um, Elijah, the prophet of God. He gets a response, and his prayer is a very simple one. So Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. They're faking it. And don't be like the Gentiles because they don't, they don't trust. They don't have confidence. Uh, contrary to both of those, Jesus says this in verse 9. We're going to read verses 9 through 13, but today's sermon is only going to focus on verse 9. Let's pray. Father, as we read your word, Lord, we ask for your blessing on it. And as we hear from your word, as we hear a sermon from your word, Lord, we pray for your blessing on that as well. God, that you would... Teach us to pray. Teach us what it looks like to be in conversation with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 6, verse 9, Jesus says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thus far, uh, the reading of God's holy word. <clears throat> Still kind of struggling with my cough, so if you'll forgive me. Hopefully the water will help. But I have, uh, I have heard it said before, we, act, we actually live right now next to uh, Clanton International Airport. And so we see this happen a lot, right? We see lots of planes land. And I've heard it said before that flying a plane is the easy part. Landing the plane, that's the difficult part. And, of course, that's the part you want to get right. Um, you can only stay in the air so long. Now, I think that may have been Indiana Jones that I've heard that from, but... Flying the plane is easy. Landing the plane is hard, right? And in order to have a good landing, which is what you want, 
You have to have a good approach, right? So landing the, pla- landing the plane actually starts a long way before you ever put wheels on the asphalt, right? Landing the plane actually starts when you're a long way off from the runway, right? Because you have to enter in, uh, you have to enter into the pattern, right? And then you have to be given clearance to begin your approach. And so you've got to come in from the right side. You've got to come in from the correct side, excuse me. You've got to come in at the right altitude. And you have to do all this, and you have to be checking your instruments all the way down until basically you stop the plane, all right? You have to, a good approach. In order to have a good landing, you must have a good approach. And the same is true in prayer, right? Uh, <clears throat> good prayer, and there is such a thing as good prayer, good prayer has a good approach. Now, let me, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to say this throughout the whole sermon series, okay, because I think it's an important reminder, because this, this is what we do. When we hear that there's something we should be doing, that there's a better way to do something especially when it comes to the religious sphere of our lives, then what we have a tendency to start thinking is, okay, Kevin said, I must begin my prayers this way, and if I don't begin my prayers this way, God is never going to hear them. That is not what I am saying, okay? I am not saying follow the formula and God will listen. God hears lots of prayers that are not formed well. In fact, right, he tells us in Romans 8, that even when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit still helps us. Even if we can't form words, the Holy Spirit is, in a sense, kind of taking our prayers and making them pretty to present before God. So what we're about to say, even when I say that good prayer requires a good approach, I don't want you to think that this is somehow chaining you um, What my, my aim is that we would better understand how to pray, okay? The reason we're going through this series is that, so that we would have help in prayer. And so don't hear me saying like, okay, if I don't get the formula right, God's not going to listen. That's not what I'm saying. Grace, is even, grace extends even here. God hears our prayers even we don't necessarily say them the right way. But <clears throat> good prayer requires a good approach. And in this prayer... We have the privilege of approaching God as our Father. Jesus gives us us a beautiful approach right here in this opening phrase. Our Father in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven. Right? Um, And we're going to look at this from two angles. We're basically going to take both of those phrases. First, we're going to look at our Father. Right? A beautiful truth of Christianity that we have lost probably to familiarity, okay? Uh, Hopefully this morning we can recapture some of that beauty because it is a central truth to Christianity. So uh, our Father, the God of heaven is our Father. And then we're going to look at the second phrase, in heaven. What does it mean that our Father is the God of heaven? So we're going to look at this we're going to look at both of these phrases and we're going to look at this truth and what it means for our prayers. Let's begin with uh, the God of heaven is our Father. This is the most amazing 
And you could even argue this is probably one of the most central truths of Christianity. Right? It doesn't apply to any other religion that what we see most shockingly for the first time in the New Testament is that men and women get to call God Father. That they can approach God not as a boss, not as a tyrant, not as a slave master, but as their father, as our father, right? And so here's what that means. That the maker and sustainer of all things, right? Um, We get to approach him as father and not in a distant and formal way, okay? Um, And we've kind of, and we've lost this truth there's lots of reasons we've lost it, but one of the ways we've lost this truth, the way this has kind of gotten watered down, is it's become popular to say that God is the father of all human beings, right? That every person, because they are created by God, can call God father. But that is not the way the Bible talks, right? There, is only, there are only two places where in the Bible where God is called the father of all living creatures. But it does not mean by that, and the majority of the times that it calls God our father, it means it in the very personal and very exclusive way that Jesus is using it here. All right? So is it right to say that God, that, that every human being is made in God's image? Yes. Is it right to say then, because we're made in God's image, that we share his dignity, that we have that we have inherent dignity and honor. Yes. But is it right to say that God is the father of every man, woman, boy, and girl on the planet? No. Because what we find in the New Testament is the only way that God is your father is if you come to him through the Son, Jesus Christ. The only way you get to call God your father, the only way you can even use the term uh, dad, okay, with the creator of heaven and earth is because you stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He alone is the one who makes that possible. Every person is made in God's image, but not every person can claim the benefits of adoption. And that's what we're talking about here. When you, when you see the fatherhood of God in the New Testament, the, what that equates to is our adoption, the fact that you and I have been brought into the family of God. Um, so, and, that's why, and that's why this is so shocking. Because if you're in Christ, you don't belong to a system. You don't belong to a company. You don't even necessarily belong to just another religion. If you're in Christ, you belong to a family. You are brought into a family. You are, you are named a son. You are named a daughter. And you now call the first person of the Trinity your father and the second person of the Trinity your brother, right? That's how the Scriptures talk. <clears throat> John 1.12 John says this, to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become followers of God. 
slaves of God. No? He gave the right to become children of God. Romans 8.15, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the, the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, the Aramaic word for father, for dad. Galatians 4, 6, and 7. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. 1 John 3, 1. See what sort of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Brothers and sisters, I wish that my heart would be set aflame by this truth. That we, that we would be emboldened by this. That we would recognize again that this is not something we deserve. It is something that we are given. That we become heirs of an eternal kingdom, not by our choice, but by God's grace. That he calls us sons and daughters. And it's one thing to know that intellectually, but it's another altogether to know it experientially. It's one thing to know it with your head, but it's another thing altogether to feel it with your heart. And what I want for us is that we would feel this because that would transform our lives and it would transform our praying. If we felt the reality that God is our Father, and what that means is that He delights in you. He delights to hear you pray. He delights that you are his daughter. He delights that you are his son. Do you, have a, do you have a grid for seeing God that way? Can you understand that the God of the universe who spends a thousand galaxies, excuse me, billions of galaxies and stars into existence in an ever-expanding array, do you, do you grasp the fact that he delights to call you daughter, that he delights to call you son, because of what his only begotten son, Jesus, has done for you. My friend Derek Thomas says that if we don't know what it means to commune with God as our Father, then we fail to grasp what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us in the gospel. That if we can't, if we can't grasp that we have a Father in heaven, then what we really don't grasp is the gospel. What we really don't grasp is what Jesus has done for us. We don't fully understand that we are given a Father in heaven. So what does this mean? Um, in fact, this is, this is what it means for us to come to God in Jesus' name, right? You hear that in Christian prayer often. Uh, we'll say in Jesus' name or in Christ's name. And the reason we do that, the reason we end our prayers that way is because it's only by Jesus that we can come to the Father in prayer. It's only in Jesus' name that we can offer our prayers because He's the Son who has secured our sonship. He is the Son who has secured our adoption. So when we say our Father, 
implicitly we're saying we come in the name of Christ because I can't claim that by myself. I cannot claim God as my Father by myself. I must have Jesus in order to do that. I must come in Jesus' name in order to do that. Now, maybe, maybe this is a hard image for you to grasp because your, heavenly, uh, because your earthly father was a wretched person. Maybe, maybe your earthly father was absent. Okay? Um, maybe he was, he was there physically, but mentally and emotionally he was absent. He wasn't there for you. Or maybe he was absent altogether. Maybe you've never known your father. Or maybe your father is abusive. Maybe he's hard with his hands. And he's hard with his words. Right? And so it's really hard for you to to lay... When you hear our father, that image for you is a difficult one to enjoy. Right? You don't hear kindness. You don't hear love. You don't hear generosity. And so here's what I would say, because my experience is similar to yours. Here's what I would say. Don't let your experience set the definition. Don't let your experience of your earthly father's lack of love, or even maybe his hatred, don't let your experience of your earthly father's manipulation set the definition for what good fatherhood is. Because... Deep down, innately, we know what good fatherhood is, right? A father is a protector. A father is generous. A father is loving. He takes care of his family. He takes care of his children. Jesus will say later, just a chapter later in Matthew 7, when he's talking about, again, talking to God, he says in verse 9, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And so what Jesus is saying is, we kind of all understand what it means to be a good dad. So that if your son says, Dad, I'd like some bread to eat, if you hand him a rock, you're not a good dad. You're a bad father. Okay? If he asks, um, right, what does Jesus say? If he asks for fish and you hand him a snake, you're not a good dad. We all, we all kind of innately know what a good father is. And then Jesus goes on to say, listen, you're... You're fallen and broken and tainted. You're evil. If you're evil and you still know what good fatherhood is, imagine how much better the fatherhood of God is. Imagine how much better his generosity is. Imagine how much better his love is. And so if your experience of fatherhood has been painful, I would encourage you this way. Don't let your experience set the tone for what you wish fatherhood would be. Don't let that undo a biblical definition of who God is. What does this mean for our prayers? It means that unlike the Gentiles who have to use lots of words to get their God's attention, unlike them, we have a God who listens to us. 
we have confidence. We have confidence that we are listened to, that our prayers are heard so that we don't have to manipulate God. <clears throat> but that confidence is founded on something even deeper. We have confidence that we are loved. You, if, if you are in Christ, you can have confidence that you are loved no less than Jesus himself. Grapple with that. In God, in Christ, you are loved no less than Jesus himself, the perfect, only begotten Son of God. The love the Father has for him, brother and sister, he has for you. That should give you confidence to go into the throne room to pray. Because you know that he's listening. Because he loves you that much. Right? We just read how we become co-heirs with Christ. Because of our elder brother Jesus, we have the Father's love. We have the same love that he has for his Son. That's the hardest thing for me to grasp. But is the most crucial. Because it changes everything else. If you approach God as your father, knowing that he loves you with that kind of fatherly love, it breaks down all sorts of walls. And it will lead you to ask for things um, out of love for him and not out of love for yourself. All right, so there's the first thing that... uh, That's our father. Here's the second thing. The God of heaven is our father... And our Father is the God of heaven, right? Jesus says, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven. So this is what this tells us. This tells us that we have a Father, but He is different than any other Father we have ever known, right? That He is, he is the definition of good. He is the definition of beauty. He is the definition of love of majesty, of perfection, of holiness, and justice, right? He is, all of those things together, his differentness from us, that is his holiness. That is who our Father is. He is so different from us that he is incomprehensible to us. All we know of him is what we have in his word, and yet there are multiple points in his word where the writers say, we know this much, and, and, and that's it. We cannot fully comprehend all that our God is. We cannot comprehend His will. We can't even comprehend His love. We just sang how deep the Father's love for us. We cannot fathom that depth. Because what would make the Holy Creator God want to stoop to a level to save me and you? To, to perish His only begotten Son to ransom other sons and daughters. What kind of love is that? We don't know it. We can't fathom it. It is beyond us. That's what's meant by our Father in heaven. Another way to say this is, right, that we have access to the throne room, but don't forget that it is a throne room. It is the throne room of the King of heaven. 
And that's a reminder that what we have in our God is this remarkable combination of welcoming fatherly love and frightening, astounding power. Our God is both. He is love and power. He is a welcoming father, and he is the all-powerful king of the universe. And so here's what this means for our prayers. That unlike the hypocrites, we take our God, we take our God and our conversations with him seriously. Right? The hypocrites faked prayer to get the approval of people. But because our Father is in heaven, we dare not do that. We dare not treat him so lightly, as if he doesn't really matter, as if he's really not there. And what a waste it would be. What a waste it would be to have the creator and the sustainer of the universe bend his ear to hear your prayers for you to ignore him so that you could get the applause of someone else. No. No, we have the ear of the God of heaven. He is our Father, and we can bask in that glorious truth. He delights in us. He delights for us to approach him that way. Martin Luther says this, says, every man, when he begins to pray, should put his hand over his mouth. Every man, when he begins to pray, should put his hand over his mouth. And what Luther is calling us to do is what the old saints called recollection. That before you even begin to pray, or as you begin to pray, stop and think. Right? This, is, this is talking about your private prayers. As you go before God in prayer, stop and take a moment to realize who it is that you are approaching. Right? Take this phrase, our Father in heaven, and dwell on each part of it. Dwell on the fact that He is your Father by adoption. And because He is, you belong to Him. That you have access to to His throne room by the power of the Spirit in the name of the Son, and that you have all of the benefits of being a part of His family, that you're not treated as a slave, you're not treated as an orphan. There are are no... Adopted children are not second-class children. They are just as much children of the King. And we have all of the benefits of the kingdom. We are co-heirs with Christ, and so we are welcomed into conversation with the King of Heaven. But also this, as we approach in prayer, meditate on the fact that He's the King of Heaven, right? That billions of stars and galaxies dance and whirl and shine at His command, at His voice. That as Charles Spurgeon says, every particle of dust that dances in the sunbeam does not move an atom more or less than God wishes. Every particle of spray that dashes against the boat has its orbit as well as the sun in the heavens. That he is in control of things too big for us to comprehend and things too small for us to see. 
And he is our father. That's who we approach in prayer. And so in private prayer, it would be wise for us, just like, just like the pilot who approaches the runway, for us, to, for us to stop and to recollect and to think about who it is that we approach. Let me close this way. How can you know this God? How can you know the God of the universe as your Father? Friend, you must know the Son. You must come to Him through Jesus. Jesus who would say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You want to really pray? You've got to begin with the Son. And only then do you gain access to the Father. Let's pray. God, thank you for teaching us, teaching us how to pray, teaching us what it looks like to bow the knee before you. Lord, we would often stray in, in one of two directions. Either we would be too irreverent and take advantage of you as our Father, or we would, be, or we would stand too far off and say, I can't ever call that God my Father. But you have corrected both strays in this passage we can address you humbly because you're the king of heaven but we can address you boldly and confidently because you are our father in Christ in his name